The material contained in the Divergent Clear podcast is for informational purposes only. The ideas and opinions expressed in the podcast does not represent the views of nations the National Rail Passenger Corporation, or Amtrak, or the Washington Metro Rail Safety Commission. This is the Divergent Clear podcast. Approach Diverging, milepost 20.04. Diverging Clear, milepost 20.06. Welcome to Diverging Clear, your transportation podcast with your hosts, William Moore and Jermaine Walker. Welcome to the Diverging Clear podcast, episode three. Forward and the national policy to disenfranchise urban America. I'm your host, William Moore, and I'll be flying solo on today's episode. First, I'd like to thank you for sticking around and continuing to check out the podcast. I had to take a hiatus uh, while dealing with the sudden loss of my mother on Easter Sunday. My mom was a very integral part of this podcast. That professional voice that you hear for the advertisement read for EME Rail Solutions LLC, that was my mom. She also taught me the various streaming applications, including the OBS production uh, application that I'm currently using now. She taught me ins and outs of it and how to set these things up. To be honest, my mom was a huge techie. She loved figuring out how to best utilize these tools and she shared it with me. Before I get started, I just want to say, I miss you, Ma. I love you. Thank you for everything that you've done. Every podcast will be dedicated to you because uh, without your expertise and tutelage, uh, I wouldn't have been able to come up with some of these production techniques and different things that I utilize. Also, uh, you were one of my biggest fans, my first subscriber to the pod, the, to the Divergent Clear podcast. So, you know, just... Uh, just that in general, um, I just want to say thank you uh, as I start this episode ending the hiatus. Just want to say thank you and I love you and thank you for everything you've done. Just going to have a couple seconds of silence for my mom, Miss Crystal L. Moore. Uh, passed away Easter Sunday of 2022. My year and my hearts always will be. And I love you. So, thanks again for tuning in to the to the Divergent Clear podcast. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and get started. A uh, couple stories I'm gonna start with here, just uh, a couple of recent news stories here, just to get us caught up on just to get us caught up on what's going on in the uh, rail in the world of railroad there's been a lot going on since the uh, last time i spoke with y'all so just a couple stories i'm gonna touch on here before we get to our main story uh i'm not gonna talk too long on just some real brief uh first thing we'll uh talk about is the uh, stb order orders the four class ones to provide more detailed service recovery plans uh 
during this time that SCB held hearings uh, uh, regarding concerns the shippers were having with the four service qualities that were being put out by the uh, four major class on railroads and some others. Um, basically, the STB told them they needed to start reporting daily on uh, their attempts to uh, move cars for customers. Customers were complaining that they would request uh, seven days worth of service. The railroad would respond with they're only giving them five. Uh, some customers require five days switching, they would only give them three. So a lot of those type of issues were being discussed and um, people were being charged for cars that uh, they released back to the railroads and the cars weren't being picked up again, still, they were still being charged. So a lot of that stuff, the STB started requiring the class, the four class ones, <clears throat> excuse me, to start reporting on. Um, they told them to come up with plans on how they were planning to, to start mitigating some of these things. And when they submitted the plans, the STB was not at all pleased with the response that they got. Uh, so they ordered them to a uh, couple of them to uh, do more detailed, uh, uh, more detailed planning for the for what uh, they, they want to get resolved and so we'll be at, we're watching that to see how that comes out uh, like I said this is a pretty cool uh, to me a statement that this STB but this this board and this uh, the, the members of this board aren't playing with the class ones um, as much as they would like to say it's staffing issues and different supply chain issues. A lot of this has not been helped by the class one railroads. They've uh, uh, kind of, during their PSR, they shortened the, or cut down a lot of their their, their, uh, their labor groups, uh, including transporta uh, transportation and maintenance. Uh, some of these things were self-inflicted, and I believe the STB recognizes that. So. They're trying to get them all to get it back on the same page, getting this stuff moving. Because listen, at, at the end of the day, the reason why I mention this is because this drives up the price of goods that we have. This inflation, this record inflation that we're seeing right now, is not solely caused by the railroads, but I can tell you it's not being helped by the railroads where customers aren't able to produce the goods that they need or, or get the raw materials that they need or have the outbound. Uh, finished products move that they like they should so you know it's interesting just to see how this plays out but let's just be real a lot of this does uh, affect the inflation rate of everything that we purchase uh, just about everything that we uh, we have yes it moves by truck but a lot of those trucks move by trains a lot of those raw materials move by trains so uh, don't think that this is that, that this does not affect your everyday life because it absolutely does Second story I'm going to bring up here is the STB orders mediation in the Gulf Coast case. Now this is that case uh, we kind of mentioned this before. I try to stay away from the Amtrak cases just for the fact that I am employed by Amtrak, and I don't want to, you know, cause any conflict of interest or state anything that's uh, that could be derogatory towards uh, my company. So I try to always keep an open balance with this, and when I discuss these stories. Uh, but the STB did order mediation in the Amtrak Gulf Coast case. They want the they want Amtrak, the Norfolk Southern, and CSX to work together to come up with a way to be able to restore this service. I think it's a fair way to go, but let's just see how it works out. 
like I said, I'll kind of stay brief on that story, but uh, that has happened, and we'll see what the outcome of this is. And finally, Amtrak seats federal grant for Chicago Union Station project and speeds up a cell trains. So the main, major reason I brought this up is because uh, Amtrak is seeking funding uh, to make some improvements, some connection improvements uh, into the Chicago Union Station. Um, a lot of this stuff uh, was on the wish list for quite some time. But now with the uh, passing of that infrastructure bill, funding has become available. So a lot of this stuff is now being, um, funding is now being pursued to accomplish some of these goals. One of the goals is uh, building a new connection to, a direct connection from the St. Charles Airline into uh, Chicago Union Station. Um, that's gonna be an interesting, uh, I'm curious, I'm watching this because I'm very curious to see how this works out. Uh, the St. Charles Airline, the drawbridge portion of it, uh, has been out of service now for almost two years. Uh, the city of Chicago is doing some um, river work, uh, restoring, uh, uh, putting steel piles in to reinforce Lumber Street along the river, along the, uh, the sanitary canal. And they made, uh, while they were doing that, uh, near the St. Charles Airline Bridge, the drawbridge, they severed some uh, communication cables that uh, made the bridge uh, essentially uh, inoperable. So the bridge has been stuck up down the air for two uh, for almost two years, and there hasn't been any mitigation done to either correct the problem or uh, restore uh, restore the or correct the issue. So to me, that's my biggest thing. I'm curious to see how that works out. Now the CSX, which is is uh, one of the weird areas, uh, CSX owns the bridge but no CSX traffic travels over it. Uh, this was uh, part of the many consolidations and different things that took place in the past where CSX ended up the, uh, the responsible for the St. Charles Airline Bridge. Um, it was uh, essentially strictly only operated by um, trains that was traversing from Amtrak from Union Station to and from Union Station uh, uh, certainly it was the uh, Illinois State trains and the uh, City of New Orleans and then uh, some freight traffic was also also used that bridge uh, which would be uh, essentially it was uh, Canadian National that was doing interchanges with the BNSF or the Union Pacific uh, over at uh, either uh, near Global One or uh, 16th or Western for the BNSF so this bridge has been out of service, I said, for going on two years. And I'm curious to see if, if Amtrak gets the funding because uh, it's, it's stated in the statement that there, that there may be some type of agreement to either uh, acquire the rights to the, the St. Charles Airline from CSX by Amtrak or some other means to be able to get control and, and be able to utilize this bridge uh, and because as it does serve as essential link to many parts of uh, Chicago Union Station. So we'll see how that plays out. All right, so now here we go to <laughs> our main story. This story is interesting to say the least. I'll say this, uh, it's interesting because um, I ended up 
coming up with this story uh, or researching this story as I was uh, I was essentially I was uh, at the Pullman Days event which took place uh, back in uh, early May uh, on the south side of Chicago at the Pullman uh, Pullman rail car plant facility the historic now historic uh, uh, National Park Pullman area and we were standing there as me, my wife, the uh, the kids, and I wanted to take them to go see, show them some of the private cars that Pullman used to build. That these were essential. Uh, this was the, the the first class travel of the early 20th century, and uh, thought it was just good history. That you know, I, I like kind of. I'm a history guy. I love history, so I wanted to show them uh, some of the things that people sometimes I recognize it was actually built in Chicago, uh, Hammond, Indiana. I grew up right around the corner from the uh, Pullman plant that was in Hammond. Um, so to me, I just, I like the historic reference of, uh, of, of understanding exactly what Pullman meant to Chicago. And as I've started to research this podcast a little bit more, it, a lot of other parts of the country too. So, um, as I was thinking about that, I was just uh, just wanted to kind of research a little bit, like exactly why. Why did Pullman shut down? Why did America divest, or as another term people like to use, defund passenger rail service? Um, you know, first answer typically comes to because of the automobiles. Yeah, there's a little bit of truth to that but not as much truth as one would think. So, here we go. It was our national policy upon his research, it was our national policy that plunged many of our urban communities into disarray. I was sitting in the line at Pullman Day's event waiting to view the very last car that Pullman built. Here's the Amtrak Superliner 32009. And yes, the 32009 is actually still in service and, and it's still in service in Amtrak's fleet, one of our few sleeper cars that we have. This, very, this car was the last Pullman Standard car built in 1981. As I was listening to conversations taking place in line, talking about the Pullman neighborhood, something dawned on me. When Pullman produced his last car, the national policy to disenfranchise urban black communities around the Midwest and other population centers. The, the, <clears throat> sorry. The disenfranchisement was nearing its completion. What do I mean by disenfranchisement? I'll get to that, give me a second. The steel industry had been successfully consolidated in cities like Chicago, Gary, East Chicago, Cleveland, Detroit were left willing after many of those good paying jobs were lost. At the time the rail passenger service was left to die by suicide, thus leaving thus leaving building builders. Jeez, I'm struggling right now. I apologize. <laughs> Let me try that again. 
At that time, the rail passenger business was left to die by suicide, and thus leaving builders of this equipment also to die a slow death. Congress and the presidential administrations didn't decide to stop subsidizing big business. What they did was decide to, to what they did decide was businesses to what businesses to subsidize and the impact it would have on middle class black Americans. Primarily how it diminishes their economic power. Challenge me all you want in that statement. This ain't a college lecture. I've done my research on this. Look at the policies of Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, and Bush one and tell me something different. Standing in this line thinking about the history of the George C. Pullman Company, help me tie a lot, help me tie a lot of this together. The big aha moment for me was the date the last car was produced, 1981. By this time, Big Oil and other industrials like the Koch brothers were putting the wrong plans together to kill passenger and commuter rail across the country. You juxtapose that with the manufactured war on drugs. Now you have done an economic policy disenfranchisement of black communities. And this disenfranchisement was quiet, stealthy, and so long that it happened right in our faces, but we didn't recognize all the forces at work. Hell, I didn't tie it together until I was standing in line on 111th Street in the historic Pullman District on the south side of Chicago, waiting to see some historic passenger cars. The desired outcomes have been reached in these areas. What makes me want to say something? What makes me want to say something about this? Because knowing history gives us tools to solve problems and prevent new ones to come into fruition. And it's constantly being written. You must know the rules of the game to play it effectively. You must, know, you must know all the avenues that are being attacked so you can launch a counteroffensive. As I said before, do the research. It's out there. Harvard, the University of Chicago, and many other esteemed institutions of academia have conducted studies that show that this has been done with intent. I'm just tying it all together. Look at how the American Passenger Rail Service was slowly killed off and why. The first response will be because everyone had cars now and the service is no longer need, needed. People throw that out there like it was inevitable. It wasn't. Heavy lobbying by the automobile and oil industries pushed policy that everyone had a car and passenger rail service was cut. That wasn't a net that this wasn't a natural progression. It was artificial and fueled by dollars from the auto and oil industries. Unintended consequences or deliberate. So I'm gonna give you a couple key dates here. And the reason I point out these key dates is because some of this stuff lines up. Like I said, this is just to give you a, uh, an overview of why I say this is all, or the, I ain't gonna say uh, opinion, this is factual. So these are some of the dates that are crucial. And if you go back historically, you'll see on the political side, what was taking place at those times. So to me, these dates are key, and this is what, what I kind of, just a shorter version of the outline that I'll put together. So in 1958, the Pullman Standard closed the Chicago plant on Cottage Grove Avenue and 111th Street. 1961, the foundry at the Hammond, Indiana plant was closed. 1967, Pullman Standard still appeared to be in the fight of staying in business with the completion of the Champ Carey Technical Center in Hammond. So it looked like Pullman was like, you know, they went through some rough times, but 
they were trying to evolve and, 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 and compete with the with the times of the day. So, you know, 1967, they were still in a fight, still looking to see what they could do in this in this industry or others. 1970, the Chicago Calumet shops were closed. 1970 also, the Michigan City freight car plant was closed. Nineteen eighty-one, the very last passenger car ever built by Pullman rose off the assembly line at the Hammond, Indiana plant. The Amtrak Superliner three two zero zero nine. As this was being the last car being produced, it was named the George M. Pullman. Nineteen eighty-three, Pullman sold its freight car plants to Trinity Industries. Pullman would continue to sell off assets and patents and one of the final large railroad assets, the freight car plants in Bessemer, Alabama and Butler, Pennsylvania were sold off to Trinity Industries of Dallas, Texas in 1994. If you juxtapose these dates of the Pullman Company shutting down plants and selling off assets, the national economic policies of that time, you can't help but notice the correlation. The federal policy was enacted here and the re repercussions were felt here. All of the major manufacturing industries, including steel, automobile, just to name two of them, has similar faces and shifted the economic power out of middle-class areas of the African-American communities. Now, don't get me wrong. Many other races were, many other races worked these jobs too, but often they were chopped up as casualties of the economic war. So sort of friendly fire casualties. The war on drugs wasn't really a war on drugs. It was a criminal economic attack, economic policy attack on the quote unquote hippie liberal population in the black community. These are the words from a Nixon administrating staffer. So this came from CNN. Report, AIDS says Nixon's war on drugs targeted blacks and hippies. We all kind of knew that already. But here's some more of it. Okay, so, I'm gonna butcher this guy's name, but I'll try to say it anyway. And Reckler, Recklerman said, we could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the war, about the drugs? Of course we did. And Reckman's comments is the first time the war on drugs has been plainly characterized as a political assault designed to help Nixon win and keep the White House. It's a stark departure from Nixon's public explanation for his first piece of legislation in the war on drugs, delivered in a message to Congress in 1969, which framed it as a response to an increase in heroin addiction and the rising use of marijuana and hallucinogens by students. However, Nixon's political focus on white voters, the silent majority is well known. And Nixon's derision for minorities and private is well known from his White House recordings. 
The comments come as there have been marked uh, have been a marked shift in attitudes toward handling drug use, ranging from legalization of marijuana in various states to White House candidates focusing heavily on the treat on the treatment as an answer to New Hampshire's heroin epidemic while they were campaigning across the state. So when we look at that, we look at some of that, and if you look at the, uh, you can go in and at uh, CNN, just Google CNN, uh, Nixon's administration aid uh, discussing the war on drugs. It goes into detail, but to me, that's when it came out publicly. But these, real, the, the, the wheels of attacking the black community and the liberal community was in motion many, many times. Nixon, let, let's not get it twisted. Nixon was carrying on the torch of the previous administrations. He just said it out loud to the point where everybody else heard it. And somebody just came out, uh, one of the, the Nixon aides at the time, um, in 1994, went ahead and, and, and explained exactly what they were doing and why they were doing it. So when you look at these different things and you look at the different um, look at the different types of uh, things that were going on uh, it was a clear it, it was clear that the government that the, at the United States government at that time did not enjoy the economic power that was uh, taking place in the African-American community um, <laughs> many many times before we've seen throughout history when um, African American community, African American communities thrived in this country. Every time they thrived, uh, somehow, some way, uh, what was built was destroyed. Uh, whether it was the fire bombing and the U.S. military attacking, uh, uh, assisting the, the local white population in destroying uh, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, to the many other race riots and everything that took place in that time frame. Including even the war on drugs, because the war on drugs is actually the war. The drugs were bought into the African American community by the CIA, by the by the federal government, and then they turned around, and they they dumped it in our community, and then attacked us for having it, for attacking us for having what the U.S. government supplied us. So when you look at those different things, you know this is this has been the story you know this is the history that nobody wants to talk about we talk about the violent crimes that's taking place here in chicago now and the other areas everybody wants to highlight that but nobody wants to highlight how we got here you know knowing how we got here is a, is a big cause it's not for sympathy or empathy but understand that these this these things took place for a reason these things took place for uh reasons uh very nefarious reasons destroy our community, weaken our communities. You know, so I like to bring these things up because I I, I don't think um, every conversation requires a bit of nuance. So just lumping everything together, when you see why neighborhoods and, and areas were, were, were are the way that they are now, this process didn't begin 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Some of this stuff is, is, is may even go back a hundred years. And they just set the they set the check they set the table for these for these for these things to happen. And so 
to me, it's very, you know, I think it's important. This is why I'm highlighting it. And because I just think that it's important that we know what's going on. You know, um, I, I talk about Pullman and the de- deindustrialization of urban America. It wasn't just businesses that were targeted either in, in many of these cases. The education systems started to shift in these, in these matters too. Many technical educational programs were eliminated or defunded during this time. Every major school system has some type of technical high school in their district. My hometown of Hammond, Indiana had Hammond Technical High School. Or for those or for those of us whose parents grew up in that area, it was simply known as Tech. Tech eventually was restructured to uh, area career centers served many students from not only Hammond, but surrounding communities. This is just an example of Tech schools being diluted but this story was repeated many times over the course of time and in our urban centers. Why is all this important? Because you talk about where America stands now without revisiting the path to why we are here. People always wanna point out the violence in these areas. Many of these areas were thriving communities at one point in time. And despite the many obstacles that were systematically put in place, redlining, they were very self-sufficient. But as But as was mentioned in the CNN story, the United States government again, using its broad federal powers, systematically attacked these regions. So instead of using firebombs and and, 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 and roving hordes to destroy our communities, they went a different way. They went to policy, shifting policies and shifting funding to attack our communities, to, 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 to do it to accomplish the same thing that the, the, the race riots or the wars on, on our communities that were destroyed did it in a, in a more slower, methodical way than, a, than a all of a sudden um, vicious, violent way. But it, but it still had the same consequences. Our communities were destroyed. In one of my podcast episodes from season one, I talked about how the interstate highway system was used to target black securities. And not just black communities, and not just low-income black communities, as was discussed in the relocation of a prominent black neighborhood in St. Louis, Missouri, during the expansion of runways at Lambert International Airport. Many of these residents were forced to take less money than their property was worth, and a large chunk of that population ended up in Ferguson, Missouri. I'm pretty sure that city name sounds very familiar. How do we correct this? First step is denying is denying that this happened. Acknowledge that this has been a detriment to the United States of America. Also recognize that if this continues, we will fall like many of the other empires of the past. In this pursuit to keep the black Amer- to keep black Americans disenfranchised, we put ourselves in a position to, to the climate, I'm sorry, We put ourselves in a position in a position to have the climate be the demise of all mankind. Heavily subsidizing auto, automobiles, trucks, and the oil industries, and not investing in public transit, especially on the heavy rail side of things. We've had some major unintended consequences. Everyone else on the planet has continued to invest in invest in not just passenger rail, but high-speed passenger rail, and they are seeing the benefits. Will America finally do the right thing? Or just, or is this just a democratic administration thing and we'll see funding cut off once another administration takes office, takes over the old office? 
I'm not going to lie. I don't have confidence we will do, we will continue to properly invest and do the right thing. I'm just being honest because uh, when Obama tried this, uh, when he first got in office, a lot of the Republican red states kicked the money back, uh, kind of a slap in the face and said, we don't want your money, we don't want this, we don't want that. Um, Trump just, I, I'm not going to say Trump divested in passenger service, it just kind of stayed status quo, which for me, uh, it surprised me, but the funding wasn't cut. So that's it. To me, that was a surprise. There were other Republicans that were trying to cut it, but it never made it into the budget. So it just, it didn't, if funding didn't increase, funding didn't decrease, it just stayed status quo. But in the big picture of things, I just don't think that we're gonna to continue to invest. We just, um, we lost a lot of our, a lot of people like to talk about the California High, High Speed Rail Project. And you know, uh, to be honest with you, at one point in time, we were the leaders and innovators in this type of technology in these areas. But because of what we've done, uh, essentially to disenfranchise what we, uh, 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 the black community, we've lost a lot of expertise and knowledge in these areas. I mean, majority of our equipment uh, that we're being that's being purchased now comes from Siemens, which is a German company, but they built a plant here in the U.S. Why is that? Why, does we, why don't we have a Pullman standard anymore? Why don't we have a Bud company anymore? Answer is simple. Because we never invested. We stopped, we started divesting in our passenger rail system. If you take our, if you take the normal life cycle of passenger equipment, let's say maybe 10 to 20 years. Overall, you can get extra 10 years out of it. Okay. But if you do that on a kind of consistent basis and consistently ordering cars and consistently updating all passenger rail service, not just Amtrak, because remember, a lot of the, uh, uh, Pullman wasn't just building cars for just Amtrak or or things like that. Community railroads were, were purchasing equipment. Um, if we could have kept the funding consistent, where people, where where commuter agencies were, were able to constantly keep their equipment up to date, we would be so much further than we are now. Let's look at even Metro in, in, in Illinois. Metra is operating some equipment that's older than me, plus 20 years. And the reason that the reason being is that for a good chunk of the early 2000s, and especially during the Rounder administration, Metra received no funding from the state or from the federal government. Metra did some very good innovative things to keep their agency running and up and running. But the fact of the matter was, there was no, there has not been any consistent investment. So if you don't have consistent investment, that's why you have your places like Pullman uh, shut down because they can't, if you don't have orders, you can't maintain a, a business. So if you would have went through the, the, the life cycles of this equipment, there would constantly be consistent orders coming in. So people, the other thing people thought, oh, but that's just subsidizing big business. We do it anyway. We subsidize big business, we subsidize oil, we subsidize the airlines, we subsidize, uh, we subsidize every other business. So this isn't, this isn't like this would be some out of the norm for American, uh, for the American government. But what it did is it, it made sure that these companies could not thrive, which is now why we have to source all our technology from other countries that have been consistently investing in their passenger rail service. 
Let's just be honest. That's what it comes down to. No investment, no businesses. No businesses, no jobs. And when I talk about pool, when I talk about the steel industry, there are many support industries that also relied on those contracts and relied on those uh, to be suppliers to those companies for the different uh, finished products. So you look at, you, you see like a, you see certain areas, the industrialized areas, you got your big factories that are shut down, but you got smaller auxiliary factories that were located near those areas that also help drive and thrive businesses and also help keep the communities funded and everything. You saw that. But with that disinvestment in passenger rail service, it killed a lot of our urban communities. Because let's not let's not be wrong. Pullman had plants not only in the Midwest, it had plants in in New York, had plants in, around Philadelphia, had plants in Alabama, as I mentioned, a couple of the freight car plants. Um they were these plants were in you you had Bug Company. They have plants in New York. They have plants. There were plants everywhere producing rail equipment, passenger rail equipment at that. But for the years of starvation, 1981 was when the last car rolled off the line. In 1974, they knew that that was going to be the last car rolling off their assembly line because the way that they had to liquidate their assets because they couldn't get consistent orders because no one else had funding to to carry out those orders. Nobody had, uh, none of the transit agencies had funding or anything to help them maintain a good state, a a state of good repair, which means refurbishing equipment, uh, which means purchasing, acquiring new equipment. We, We just didn't have that. And all of it was because I, I say to disenfranchise the urban America. And, and let's say, I, I did say, you know, black communities, but let's also, let's not get it misconstrued. It was targeted, it targeted all of the lower class. We, a lot of times we like to classify things in by race, but it was to, to, to target the liberals, to target the black communities, to target areas that were that relied on those businesses and with those businesses gone, they would struggle. Look at the data. Look at the policies. Look at why every other country in the world, pretty much every other major country in the world is investing in passenger service and have been and researching and figuring out better ways to do it than we have. We've made made small progress over time very small progress over the time, as compared with China, as compared with Germany, as compared with France. They're doing the right thing. We're about 30 years behind them, and that's sad. Well, that's my rant for the day. I don't want to keep you guys too long, but I just want to say thank you for tuning in to the Divergent Clear Podcast, episode number three. I do want to show you one thing, though, before I do kick to that. <laughs> Sorry. Jumped the gun here. I wanted to show you guys the last car that was produced by the Pullman, by the Pullman Company that's still in service for Amtrak. This is the AMTK, as I call it, AMTK 32009, 32009. The Superliner George M. Pullman. 
the Georgia Emporium in this one car was it is special. They did everything on the interior with uh, hardwood trim. This is this is a uh, this is the sort of the Cadillac of the uh, L Track passenger car superliner fleet because of the, the extra trimmings and everything they did with it. But uh, this is the the, the George C Pullman. I'm oh, sorry, George M Pullman L Track. 32009. That is the very last car that was produced by the George Pullman Rail Car Company. They built it so well, it is still in service. 1981 to 2022 is still in service. So if we could build stuff like that that could last that long, why didn't we continue to invest in it? We should have been exporting cars across the world. But instead, they're coming here to be on equipment for us. And why? Seriously, this time that is the last part of my statement. <laughs> like I said, thank you for tuning in to the Divergent Clear Podcast, episode number three. Forming in the disenfranchisement of urban America. Don't forget to click that subscribe and like button on YouTube. And if you're listening to the audio version on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Anchor, don't forget to subscribe to that also. For any questions or comments, you can hit us up at DivergingClearPodcast at gmail.com. Also follow us on Twitter at DivergingClear1 and on Instagram at Diverging underscore clear underscore podcast and on Facebook. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a friend. Thank you again for tuning in. Be safe out there. Talk to you soon. Rest in peace, Mom. I love you. Sad it's going, this is going to be my first episode without you, but uh, pretty sure uh, y'all got YouTube or Spotify out there in uh, heaven. I hope you can uh, tune in to this episode. Love you, Ma. Y'all take care. Y'all be safe out there. Diverging Clear is sponsored by EME Rail Solutions, LLC. We don't own rail cars, locomotives, or tracks. But if you do, we provide cutting-edge solutions to maximize your assets. Visit us at emerail.net to learn more. Diverging Clear is also brought to you by Three Kings Freight Brokerage, LLC. Visit threekingsfreightbrokeragellc.com to learn more about their services. The Diverging Clear podcast is also brought to you in part by Precision Logistics, LLC. Precision Logistics, LLC, meeting tomorrow's logistical needs today. Visit www.precisionlogisticsllc.info to learn how.